electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, a nightmare on Wall Street. Netflix shares plunging after earnings shock investors $50 billion in market cap slashed in a single day, but in a major plot twist. One of our investment committee members is buying that stock today, even as others run for the exits. We'll discuss and debate with the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Carrie Firestone, Liz Young, Joe Terranova, and Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. I'll take you and show you what the markets are doing 12 noon in the east. They're mixed. Dow is higher, as is the S&P. NASDAQ is lower, dragged, of course, at least in part, by Netflix shares today. Uh, there is the 10-year note yield, 286. So yields have backed a little bit. Uh, off and there is Netflix down 37 percent. It's one of the worst days ever. Our big news, of course, our plot twist is Josh Brown is buying Netflix today. He bought it at the open. He's on an airplane, so he can't be with us, but I'm going to give you the details. He said he bought a tiny buy on the open. He may add lower under $200. Not sure of his time frame yet, but this is what he told me. He said there's an incredible amount of lost market cap, too much in his words. I mentioned 50 billion wiped out. In the history of Netflix, said Josh, we've seen five or six moments like these. Hastings, as in Reed, the CEO, always figures it out, always a buying opportunity in the end. So let's begin there. And again, Josh is going to be on tomorrow. He'll tell you, you know, in more detail why he made this decision. He says he will buy more under 200 or at least he may. Uh, That's the issue that we have in front and center of us right now. So, Pete, you own Netflix shares. okay? You bought right. Netflix yeah. puts, and you're selling calls against it. So what do you make of Josh right. jumping in here <laughs> down 36-plus percent today? Yeah, well, where he bought it, it wasn't even down 36 percent at that point in time. If he bought it on the open, Scott, it was a lot closer to 250, and that's when it started to tumble a little bit further. But I can tell you this. I agree with Josh's premise, but the one thing I would disagree with would be the, the oftentimes when you see moves like this, just incredible moves to the up or downside, you want to wait a couple of days oftentimes to let a little of that dust see, uh, you know, sort of settle. So that's the only criticism I would have of that. That being said, I, I don't disagree with him, but they've got to prove to us, Scott, why why things will change at Netflix, because they do need to change. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is when, when I was listening to that call last night and they talked about that sharing and, and, and 100 million people estimated to be part of that sharing of the passwords of, of Netflix. They only have 220 million people already. So 100 million are actually piggybacking onto that. That's something that's got to be addressed. Obviously, there's competition. We all knew there was competition. We thought Netflix was able to be the leader in that competitive race that they've had. But clearly, they are struggling and they don't have the pricing power that they'd had in the past. I mean, there's a lot of different things that you could take away from this earnings report that you'd say are the negatives. But I think the positives would be, will Reed Hastings finally succumb to the idea that 
they're going to have to do some sort of an ad platform as well. well. What do you mean if? And I think if he's willing to. What do you mean if? He, he <laughs> well, said they are. If and, if, if and when. Well, yeah. But think how long it was that he didn't want to do that, Scott. And so many people for so long have said, hey, look. Drop the ball. This is the direction you're going to have to take. And yeah, Right. But I think this time, I think it's pretty interesting that now there's interest in doing that. And I think that's the right decision to do. But on top of that, they've got to figure out the puzzle of the 100 million piggybackers right now. That's a problem. That is a huge number. If they could retain just 25% of that, they'd have 25 million users to what they've got right now. That's what they've got to do, Scott, because there's a lot of issues going on. That, that being said, take a look at the earnings. Take a look at some of the power that they've got. Yes, I understand the sub-growth is terrible. It's not growth. It's negative, 200,000. But the reality is their numbers were, were pretty decent numbers in terms of the earnings themselves. And you look at where the P.E. is, there's a lot of things that you could say, you know what, if they do this, then they can do that. And that's why I'm still holding on to the stock right now. OK, so he, he didn't obviously want to go ad supported, but desperate times call for desperate measures. So that that's where we go now again. We're sorry that Josh couldn't join us today. He is literally on an airplane. You deserve to hear more about this new buy from Josh, and you will tomorrow. I promise you that when he is back on the show. But nonetheless, that's what we have to work with, um, what Josh said uh, to us as he bought the stock today on the open and thinks that they'll figure it out, that they've done it every time and that Reed Hastings deserves the benefit of the doubt and he's going to get it right. May not feel good today, but in the end, Josh thinks he's going to get it right. Carrie, you must not think so because you sold Netflix today. And you sold it at the open. You threw in the towel. Yeah, exactly. And maybe Josh bought some of our shares. So we, we think that <laughs> um, this, this signals to us that the party's over. It, it's not a model that's working. It's broken. Uh, and I would say that on a number of fronts. They dramatically miscalculated what was going to happen this quarter and probably next quarter. So it's not as if this seepage of subs is over. It's going to continue. We are saturated in the United States. There are too many platforms right now, and they are just pouring money into their content and into trying to acquire more subscribers. Uh, when Netflix talks about trying to use an advertising model or trying different things, you almost feel as if they're reaching for straws. And we didn't buy the stock at the peak. We bought the stock well below its peak. We had added to it once when it, when it fell on the last quarter. And at this point, not only do we see this as a long-term fix, but here's the other factor that I should have remembered well from the years I followed entertainment and media that was so long ago, maybe I forgot. But the nature of the film industry and the television industry really is that there are only so many great ideas. You can have the peak, which we do now have, in employment of writers for TV and scripts and, and full movie scripts. You can have the peak of actors, and they should take advantage of it. But there aren't that many great shows or movies. And it's been the same since the network would premiere 40 or 50 new shows per season yep. with great fanfare, yep. and one of them would work. So I, I think the same applies for all these streaming services. People go from one to the other. They stick with them less. And, and there will be a demise of many of these um, many of these services. Netflix will survive, I'm sure, but it may take a long time for them to regain the growth that we had expected from them. Okay. 
I don't know if that's you, Joe, doing the heavy breathing or something, but don't worry. I'm coming to you, okay? <laughs> I mean, there's somebody out there doing that, which, you know, is rather, it. It's it rather, it's rather disconcerting I took a, on, I took on television. A deep breath. I'm just saying. I mean, how many, I loved it, how many times it. are you going to do that? I'm coming to you. Don't worry. Now, now's your chance, Joe. Go ahead. No more big size, heavy breathing. Go ahead. So before the calendar turned into 2022, Netflix was being priced as a disruptive media company. That ended in January when you had the first 20% decline for the company. Now it is being priced more as a traditional media company. Bill Ackman was a buyer at that point. I think ultimately Bill Ackman will be okay with his position. I think Josh will be okay. Josh's temperament has been one to be proven where he's looking over the long term. He could ride things out over the next three to five years. Tell me when exactly Netflix becomes a disruptive media company again. It we don't know the answer that? to that. Does this it, is, forget, forget that. Yes. Forget yes. That. That, that's, that ship has sailed, right? But you're, are you telling me that the only way you can own this stock is if it becomes that again? Because it's not that anymore. And it's likely not going to be that again. The competitive landscape is obviously different. In what way are they going to disrupt anything at this point? So are you making a case that absent that, this is a no touch? Now I'm holding, I'm holding my breath because I'm being so conscious of my breathing. Uh, but what I'll tell you is Thankfully. right now <laughs> it is trading. It's trading as a traditional media company. OK. And what does that mean? That means it's going to trade the same way, Scott that Facebook did post-earnings in early February. Okay. Let's remember that. Facebook, Facebook drops 20% on February 2nd when it reports. The following day, to Pete's point, it has an intraday high of 248. It has not exceeded that high since early February. It's basically trading below it. That means that the institutional investor needs to see fundamental validation that the Facebook bottle is beginning to pivot back to what it was previously. So the same applies here to Netflix. Heavy institutional ownership. There has to be a moment here where the company is going to prove through its earnings that it's returning to what it once was. The reasoning why institutions owned it, because it was viewed as disruptive media. Yeah. Until that point, it is going to trade at a traditional media valuation, and that means the stock is really going to trade centered around this 200 to 250 level for an extended period of time. I mean, the price target slashed um, across the street today, downgrades you know, far and wide. I, I don't need to read you all of the downgrades or all of the price target cuts. But in some cases, we're talking about price cuts as high as 50 percent, if not a little bit more than that. Now, Liz Young, Joe makes a good point. OK, he brings up. Despite the heavy breathing, he brings up Facebook <laughs> and what happened after Facebook reported and had the big plunge. I mean, shame on us for not seeing this. At, at some point, high growth companies with a big multiple become either no growth or slower growth at, at minimum. And that's what this has become. So it doesn't deserve the premium multiple that it was getting before. We don't know yet what it quote unquote, deserves to trade at, the market's going to figure that out on its own. And it's doing a job of that today. I'll tell you what, down 37 percent. But is, is this the warning for, for investors about growth, 
about expectations of growth and being able to see the writing on the wall before the earnings report comes out, not after, not when the stock is down 37 percent and you're holding the bag, wondering what in the world you're going to do before it happens. Well, okay. the warning for growth came last November, right, when the Fed pivoted. The warning for growth that has been pressured because of macro factors has already happened and is a known risk. It's a known headwind. What we're talking about right now are company specific factors. And I'm going to probably say the same thing Joe did in different words, that you can still own companies like that. They may not deserve the same multiple. But if they're not disruptors and they're still alive and we still think that they're healthy companies, then they've become mature companies. And you should set your expectations going forward for return as a mature company until and unless something changes to make them innovative again. And I think that that entire space, the entire streaming space right now has matured to a point where people are going to have to shake it up a little bit to make it look like it has better opportunity. But the warning signal for growth has already happened. Now what investors need to do is think about, okay, there are still headwinds for growth stocks. We're still going to see rate hikes. Where can I find growth? I don't want ever to send the message that just because there are headwinds, you should stop investing. There are still places to find growth. And there are still places that have been re-rated down to a level that are attractive here. And if you think out two to five years, you can own them. You can start stepping in if you haven't already. So we knew, we knew, we knew that there was going to be pull forward from the pandemic. How many examples do we need to see it? This may be the most stark for, for sure. Now, we didn't know they were going to miss like this. But that data the other day coming out of the U.K. of the amount of sub cuts from people there coming out of the pandemic, that was a warning shot as to, to what might be down the pike for some of these stocks. Degas Wright, he's another member of the investment committee, and he's one of the lucky ones. Why? Because he sold Netflix on Monday, before the report. He joins us on the phone. Degas, why'd you sell it Monday? What were you sensing in terms of doing that? Yeah, so what we were sensing is that we, we grade our c- companies, and what we found is that... Netflix was getting like a C minus D, which means in this inflationary environment, with the impact on the consumer, that this is a company that we wanted to exit because it did not have pricing power, and we wanted to move into higher quality companies, what we call our A and B companies. We looked at it from a vantage point of it being overvalued. We look at EBIT multiples, which is earnings uh, before interest and taxes, and we saw that it, the multiple was too high. I think uh, you know, a lot of people have talked about how the multiples are coming down now. We identify that. Plus, we're talking about now, should the multiple be changed? Because is it still a disruptive technology company, or is it more a consumer discretionary uh, multiple? The EPS, which we follow the earnings forecast, and we noticed that those forecasts have been coming down since January by some uh, 14% decline, which is very troublesome for us as we look at our models around expectations. And then lastly, what you just mentioned, Scott, the information from the U.K. for subscribers, how many people were cutting the cord here and, 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 and putting away the, uh, their dis- subscriptions mm-hmm. to Netflix. And that becomes a problem because... of their revenues come from the international subs. 
So if we have a recession that could happen in Europe or a downturn, a strong downturn in the economy, that's going to impact the subs in their growth area, which is uh, international. You make great points. Uh, and thank you for calling in and telling us about it. I'll see you back on the show and we can talk about it in more detail. He raises great points. What is the appropriate mm -hmm. multiple for a stock like this, if not this one specifically? And I could tell you somebody else who's shaking on his tractor today, and that's Farmer Jim Labenthal. <laughs> Why? Because Farmer Jim Labenthal, there he is. He owns Paramount. Do you see what Paramount's doing today, people? Paramount's down like 7% the last I checked. He owns Disney, too, which is down in sympathy with all of this. Um, what are you going to do with this, Farmer Jim's? Down almost 8% is Paramount Global. You would uh, intro me because you could have said, hey, the last time we talked about this was two months ago after the earnings report. You, Jimmy, said buy the stock. The stock market is wrong. And since that time, it's up 14 percent, even after the stench of what Netflix laid last night. And year to date, it's up 11.2 percent versus the S&P down 6 percent. Now, why is that, Scott? All right. That's a rhetorical question. Let me answer it for you. Please do. The reason it is is because it is growing. It is growing. OK, now we have a question hanging in the air today after what Netflix laid last night. The question is, is this an industry problem or is this a Netflix specific problem? Recent history would indicate this is a Netflix specific problem. You go back to the last earnings season, Netflix laid an egg there and both Disney and Paramount crushed their subscriber numbers, crushed them. OK, Paramount in particular raised its guidance for the next two years by 50 percent in terms of the subscriber ads that they're seeing. That was two months ago. A lot has happened. Maybe that's changed. But right now, the tie goes to not Netflix, which has had about a two year history of disappointments. And I want to say one more thing. Please do. I, I look at these companies as being in the same space. Netflix has seven times. This is important. This is what you have me for, okay? Uh, no, I, Netflix I totally has get it. seven times totally the market I'm waiting for you to give us the Netflix revelatory seven information. Times. Go ahead. They're in the same space. Right, I got you. By. Go ahead. Seven times, seven times the market cap, Netflix versus Paramount. When you take the 55 million subscribers for streaming plus Pluto TV, another 65, that's 120 million subscribers, more than half of what Netflix's subscriber count is. Single digits forward earnings, one times price book, 2.6% uh, dividend yield. There is a world of difference, an ocean of difference between these two companies. So, all right, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. I got to take a break. Don't go anywhere, Farmer Jim, okay? <laughs> Don't ride off into the sunset on your tractor because I want to discuss this a little bit more when we come back. Plus, IBM is soaring on the back of its latest earnings. It's the best stock in the Dow and the S&P today. Pete is going to weigh in on that because he owns the stock, as he does Lululemon. They're meeting analysts to lay out their bold growth plan. We'll trade those two names next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Okay, we're back with Farmer Jim. Um, so the point you're making is competition is no big deal. This is Netflix's problem. It's not a competition problem because if it was a competition problem, then you would be worried about a Paramount or a Disney both stocks that you own. Now, I mean, you're entitled to your point of view. I don't know if that's correct, but you really believe that? Well, listen, you are right to question it, okay? Um, We have to wait and see what the earnings are gonna be in two weeks from Paramount. But the reason I say that, Scott, is again, because of recent history. Last quarter, I mean, Netflix, and look, it's had about two years of every other quarter being kind of lousy. But Paramount, I mean, just blew the doors off of in terms of what their ads were for the fourth quarter and what their projection was going forward. Management does have, a, in my opinion, a very good track record of projecting modestly expectations that they then beat. But look, two months, it's a lot of time. A lot's gone on. We know that. Um, I think ultimately what I'm saying here is there may be a content differential between a fast grower like Paramount, and by the way, Disney Plus, it's growing fast, versus Netflix. That may be what we're seeing here. We'll come back to it in two weeks. I know you'll hold my feet to the fire, and I like it. I'm good with it. Two weeks, Paramount's reports, we're going to discuss it. Okay. I'm glad you uh, are anticipating what's going to happen in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Can I tell you? I appreciate you coming on. That's, that's Jim Labenthal uh, joining us there uh, as a couple of his stocks get hit pretty bad today. All right, Liz Young. So we look at the overall market. You've got the Dow higher. NASDAQ is, is lower. We're trying to see if there's follow through from whatever yesterday's rally was about. Marco Kalanovic of J.P. Morgan, he says a lot is priced in with rates. He says near term equity rally is, is likely. We you know, been calling that rally the if you want to call it the peak inflation rally, the great disappearing act, because it felt like it was about to get started last week and then it went nowhere. So are we back to thinking that we can put something together here or no? Well, the whole thing is priced in with rates. If we're expecting the Fed to get to two and a half percent by the end of the year, that's in. That's already in the yield curve. And my thesis continues to be that they may have to slow that down. I think they're going to come at it hard in May and June, and that's priced in as well. And then we might hear that inflation started to moderate. The Fed backs off a little bit. That does drive an equity rally. I'm hesitant to use the word rally because I think rallies are going to be short-lived this year, and I think we're going to see a lot of relief rallies that we then give back. But that doesn't mean that stocks can't end the year a little bit higher. Also, I would point out it's very rare to have a quarter where you have equities and bonds negative. We had that in the first quarter. I'd be surprised to see it again in the second quarter. Now, if the 10-year stays above 233, 234, we still have a negative quarter for bonds. I do think, however, that there's a good chance for a positive quarter in stocks, especially if people start to feel like the Fed has a handle on inflation in the May and June meeting. Look, I go back to, Carrie, what people like Scott Minard have said, 
whether it's on this program or in overtime later in the day, that even if you have a hard landing, a recession, you're not going to have it in the next six to 12 months anyway. So you do have runway for stocks to go higher before the market really starts to price in a recession, which it doesn't appear to be today. Deutsche Bank today says to prepare for a hard landing. The part, part of the problem is when, when they say that, you have people say, okay, well, I need to get more defensive today because a hard landing's coming. Minard would say, yeah, well, I think a recession's coming too, but that doesn't mean that stocks can't go up for the foreseeable future before you really have to be concerned about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And I think when we get to the point where one of the top searches on Google uh, is what is a recession or what happens during a recession, we know that a certain amount of that has been well telegraphed across the public. Uh, I would say about whether there are places that you can buy and make money over the next year. Uh, if, If you look at, as an example, a little chart that Vinny put together for me, it shows the relative difference between the Russell growth and the Russell value. And you see the massive underperformance of growth. Now, people who have owned value stocks over the past 18 months have made the right choice, whether it was energy stocks or banks. The banks started to roll over. Energy has continued to go higher. Perhaps Mm -hmm. it's running out of steam. Mm -hmm. But those growth names have underperformed by 2,000 basis points over the last 18 months. And there are names in there that are down. I'm not talking about a name like Netflix. I I just mean names like Adobe or Autodesk or FIS, which we bought recently, that are down 25 to 45 percent and sell for reasonable multiples, continue to grow, and they will grow through a slowdown. They'll grow faster than the cyclical stocks. And we think there are opportunities in that part of the market that's been overlooked. Okay. Let's do this. We'll take another quick break. Still ahead, we will hit IBM and Lulu with Pete. He's got unusual activity as well. We'll look ahead to Tesla after the bell. A lot riding on that. Stay with us. We're back on the half right after this. Dow's good for 267. NASDAQ's losing 170. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Scott. An Ohio doctor has been acquitted in the deaths of 14 hospital patients. The jury rejecting the prosecution's argument that the doctor, William Husel, was trying to kill seriously ill patients by giving them excessive amounts of the painkiller fentanyl. One prosecution expert testified some patients got enough fentanyl to kill an elephant. Husel's lawyer argued he was only trying to make dying patients comfortable. What's being called a wall of fire on the outskirts of Flagstaff, Arizona, is forcing more than 2,000 residents to evacuate. Gusty winds are fueling the flames, but the fire is moving away from the more heavily populated areas of the tourist city. Vladimir Putin says Russia's new intercontinental ballistic missile will provide food for thought for its enemies. Russian TV showed Putin watching what's been called a successful test of a missile the Russian president says can evade any efforts to stop it. And Wimbledon's organizers have formally announced that players from Russia and Belarus won't be allowed to participate in this year's tennis tournament. Some of them are among the world's highest ranked players, including men's number two, Daniil Medvedev. Back to you. Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. All right, IBM, the best stock in the Dow and the S&P. We trade that plus trades on some of the other big tech calls of the day. Pete, of course, has unusual activity. We will be right back. All right, shares of IBM surging after beating earnings last night. Pete, you own it. Simple question. I mean, is this a real legitimate turnaround because the stock has outperformed the XLK, right? Or is this more elaborate financial engineering as some of the most bearish investors are suggesting. Yeah, but I think there's a couple out there like Morgan Stanley and a few others that have actually raised uh, what their opinions are on this stock right now. I, I'll tell you what, I think that they hit this out of the park. This was a great quarter. Their software, which is over 40%, there's a huge margin business there as well. That was up 12%. Clouds up 14%. Hybrid clouds up 17%. When you look at these numbers, they were all pretty good, Scott. And they continue to build on this momentum and the transformation of IBM. I'm not saying this thing's going to 200, but it's a really nice quarter. I think they've done everything right this past quarter. Still trades at 12 times. You get a 5% yield. I think when you look at this company, it gets a lot more interesting, especially in the environment we're in. Liz was just talking about some of the volatility that we're probably going to have, the ups and downs of these markets. I think IBM would be a very solid name to be part of a portfolio. Carrie, mm. you don't think so. Right. You call it dead money and you still think it's going to be that. That's what you said. I mean, I'm well, just reading. Off I think I said, said. yeah, <laughs> I, no, not I, my I words, your it, words. I think it said. Yep. I think I said it's been dead money. Well, I think if you look back yeah, over it's the been last dead money. Eight, nine I mean, years, yes, it's, it's exactly what you yes. said. It's been dead money. Does that mean That's it's still dead said. money? Yeah, it means that this is speculative. I know it has a yield. I know the multiple is not high, although the multiple is not that low. Uh, IBM has been a company that's going to be in the next wave of innovation, whether it's about services or AI. And I know this is a possibility. You get paid something to wait for people with great patience who can, I would say, apply a small percent of a portfolio to IBM. I don't think it's a ridiculous allocation. It's like it's like people who bought General Motors and Ford a few years ago and they'd been dead money for 12 years. Turned out to work out. So this might also. It's not a name that we own or probably would, but I, I don't think it's unreasonable. Okay. Uh, let's turn to Lululemon. They're meeting their analyst today saying it wants to double sales by 2026. 
Uh, I mentioned Pete owns it, but Joe, so do you. Joe, you go first. What's your outlook for Lulu okay. here? Six uh, year-to-date stock is a, is, is a flat line, basically. It's up a few percentage points, which I guess is nothing to sneeze at in an otherwise kind of lousy market we've had. Well, Calvin McDonald outlined exactly the fundamental reasons why you want to own the company and why I own the company. And let's understand he has been an excellent steward of this company. The stock has tripled in his time as CEO. Uh, identifying the opportunities in the, in the international market, introducing more men's products. These are all things that you want. Now, from the technical perspective, you're seeing the stock begin to pull back today. I think it's a little bit of an example of where you have high expectations. You have the announcements that come out on an analyst day, and you've got a lot of people now who are squaring up some of the shorter-term positions. So that may continue here in the near term. You might have seen the near-term upside for Lululemon, especially if a lot of the pandemic beneficiaries are going to continue to decline in the mannerism that they are today. Lululemon is going to get lumped in there. But on that pullback, I think if you don't own the shares of Lululemon, you want to be a buyer of them because looking at the long-term vision of this company, they have a very compelling fundamental strategy in place that is going to reward you as a long-term investor. All right, Pete, you must believe the same thing. (laughs) <laughs> I've owned it since 2017, so I better believe the same thing. I mean, this has been a long-term hold for me, Scott, for all the right reasons. Joe's right. I think management actually, as they went through some transitions, management figured out exactly what they are, who they are. You look at their percentage of revenues, where it's coming from, the United States, basically 70-plus percent. But you look also, there is some potential for international. But also in shoes, you and I talked about this on the OT after their earnings, and they absolutely crushed it. Across the board, and when you look at the fresh, uh, the free cash flow, Scott, a billion dollars, that is up like 70% or something very close to that number. When you look at these numbers that they're able to put up and where they're deriving a lot of their money online and so forth, they are doing so many things right that this projection that's going out multiple years, that's never easy to do. But I'll tell you what, this is a management that's looking out those those number of years. That's why I think it's a long-term hold even from here. Okay, 393. That's where that stock currently trades. Let's get you another check in Netflix shares just simply because they are having one of the worst days in the company's history, down 35%. So we're a smidge off the worst levels, but not really, and not by all that much. So there you go, 224. Netflix was like 700 bucks in November. I mean, it gives you an idea of what we're talking about. I bring it up because there are a number of other calls today uh, on mega cap technology stocks. This is no longer mega cap tech, and uh, it no longer fits into that FANG model. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, Alphabet and Meta upgraded to buy from neutral at Citi. Amazon added to the focus list at Citi. Uh, Amazon gets its price target cut by 100 bucks at Cowan. You've got other Alphabet and you've got uh, Apple Call as well. Liz Young, the state of mega cap tech today, given where rates currently sit, is what? The state of mega cap tech today to me is that if you're an investor, first of all, tech is a classic place to invest regardless of rates. Tech is the future of the American economy. Mega cap tech in particular acts different than the rest of the sector. And if you want to build defensive positions in your portfolio, you're looking at mega cap tech. If you already hold them, I would keep holding them, especially if you're in the camp that we are getting to the late cycle and that we're headed for something even bumpier in the next 12 months. You definitely want to have a position there. Kerry's dropping them like it's hot today. Uh, Facebook's been a mistake, you said. (laughs) 
I wish we had sold it. Oh. Now, you got to save your best material for the TV, well, not for the, the producer conversations. <laughs> no, I said anyone who owned Facebook a few months ago would prefer to have sold it rather than watch it drop. So that's just a truism. Not, nobody likes to lose their money or clients' money in a stock. At this point, Facebook is 14 times next year's earnings. And there's a lot about the Apple changes, the IDFA changes that uh, impact the stock. Can they manage through that? I think that's true. Is the stock attractively priced? It, it is. There are value players who are starting to buy Facebook. But it's still something that is in transition. Uh, Google, it's um, you know, a mega um, advertiser. It's the biggest advertiser in the world. And if we're in a recession, I think that affects the stock. We've seen it. It's underperformed this year. It had a great year last year, as did Microsoft and Apple. Those two companies, I think, were a little bit frothy, uh, Apple and, and Microsoft. And it makes sense to me that they haven't been at the same level this year. But they've been you know, reasonably good for, for tech. And we still own them. Google is a name that we're quite overweight and would continue to be. Amazon uh, has had a really tough couple of years. And at this point, I think uh, there are many people seeing the attractiveness to Amazon. It's long-term potential. That moat is not going away for Amazon. And on the uh, cloud side, you know, I I think that you're still talking about the leader there. So we would like that. We like that stock at this price. Okay, Joe, um, you bought Amazon on April 1st. About 200 bucks higher than where we are now. Do you make a miscalculation there on where you thought this, if not the other fangs, were going to go? No, I don't think so. I mean, it's obviously it's 6% lower, so that doesn't look like a, a very well-time entry. Uh, but I had within the portfolio the need to have more growth at a reasonable price, and I communicated that at the time. That's where the portfolio was kind of missing uh, some parts of its strategy. So... Uh, I, I think Amazon for the long term fits well. It's not something I'm going to be trading out of as well as holding Alphabet, Microsoft and Apple. These conglomerates, as Liz rightly pointed out, uh, their value in a portfolio just from the capital allocation distribution uh, can't be really challenged. OK, Tesla shares are lower ahead of earnings tonight. One Wall Street firm reiterating its buy rating on the stock. We're going to debate Tesla right there. It's down 4%, as we said, year to date, down a little more than 6 It's below 1000 bucks. Where is it going to be after earnings tonight? We will find out, and we'll do it in overtime, by the way. CNBC is also celebrating Financial Literacy Month. Here is CNBC Financial Wellness Council member Brandon Copeland on why you should invest in your future self. A lot of times people talk about saving money and retirement investing and it gets kind of weird because hey i'd rather spend the money today however i want you to think about investing for an older version of yourself i think about it today i stash away money for an older fatter grayer version of me ain't nothing better than that so let's change our perspective and change our mindset when it comes to investing in an older version of you because who else is going to invest in you better back tesla earnings on deck tonight it's under pressure leading into that shares trading below a thousand bucks as we said our phil lebeau joining the investment committee now for the conversation so phil um we got the deliveries recently right at the, at the beginning right. of the month they were at a record yep. but it's not like yep. they wowed people right they pretty much met expectations 
And the numbers haven't really come down in terms of expectations now going into tonight. So put it into perspective. What does all that mean for us? I hate to say this is a case where the Q1 numbers don't matter, but to a certain extent, unless something is wildly out of line, people are not going to be moved by these numbers. And what I mean by that is, generally speaking, most of the analysts have baked in their expectations for the first quarter. The, the metrics to look for tonight, whether it's from the report or from the guidance or from the conference call, come down to this. Gross auto margins, they were 29.2% in the fourth quarter. Most expect them to be about 28 28.8%, 28.9%. Unless that's dramatically different, that's not going to move things. What's the situation when it comes to the chip supply and inflation? We know the story there. Tesla's managed the chip supply better than most of their competitors. But the China production outlook, Scott, I think this is the one that's going to get the most attention. We know that they shut down the plant because of COVID restrictions the final five days of the first quarter. So that does impact the numbers to an extent. Not a huge amount, but it does impact it. And it hasn't really fired up production since then. I think it's on a limited basis, according to local media reports, which then raises the question, what are they expecting for the rest of April and then for the second quarter? Because China really is the driver of deliveries, as at least right now, until they get Germany and Texas up. And yes, we know what's going on with Fremont. So in terms of the overall estimates, I think that most are saying, okay, we know what we expect for the first quarter. It's really the second quarter and the third quarter. That's going to get the most attention. By the way, analysts are expecting for the full year deliveries to come in at 1.49 million. That is the latest consensus. Tesla will not give guidance. I don't expect them to give guidance. Mm -hmm. They're sticking with their usual 50% annual growth, which would bring it up to about 1.45, 1.46 million. And by the way, Elon Musk will be on the conference call tonight. So we know (laughs) that a lot of the questions are going to revolve around Twitter. And, And I've been on these calls before, Scott. Elon Musk, he wants to talk about what he wants to talk about. Of course. And in this case, he's going to want to talk about Tesla. Maybe he does want to talk about Twitter, but he's going to get a lot of questions about if you're going to be collateralizing your stake in Tesla right. for Twitter, how much concern do you have, yada, yada, yada. I'll, I'll be curious to see how patient he is with those questions. And investors really need to maybe temper their expectations as well, Phil, on the stock move post-earnings. I didn't realize this until I, I was doing some research on it for, for earnings later, that the stock, you know, on a beat doesn't typically move up anywhere close to the degree it moves lower on a miss. Now, maybe some of that has to do with the run-up into the report, right? I'm not sure. Correct. Typically, where you see this stock move, and it tends to be in a very short period of time where it will dramatically move higher, typically that is not tied to an earnings report. It is typically well in advance where they say, hey, we are going to be increasing production, or everybody starts crunching the numbers and they say, yikes, they're going to go a lot higher in terms of their production. That's when we have seen the stock move in the past. Yeah, big, uh, I mean, the options market's pointing to a big move one way or the other, 5 or 6%. Phil, I'll see you in overtime. Thank you. That's Phil Sounds LeBeau. Good. Pete's got unusual activity coming up next. We'll be right back. Following the Halftime Report podcast, what are you waiting for? Real debate and actionable advice from the investment committee, plus unusual activity and more. Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Okay, Pete, unusual. What do you see today? All right. 
Yeah, we're starting off with a couple of retailers, a little bit of a retail bonanza here, Scott. I'm looking at Walmart, and Walmart, by the way, today is hitting, bumping up against 52-week highs. Stock was a little bit lower. It was trading under 159 at the time, and we had a, bu a buyer, a very large buyer, almost 22,000 calls in a single print at the 160 strike that expire on Friday. That was with the stock trading underneath 159. Now the stock is a little bit above that. By the way, they have earnings, but those earnings aren't until May 17th. Next, I've got Target. Now, Target's a pretty interesting one as well. Stock was trading around 247 or thereabouts, 246, 247. A buyer of 4,000 of the May 27th expiring 260 calls. So they're going all the way out deep into May. They're going obviously a lot further out. And they're looking for this going into earnings itself, which will be on the 18th. They paid $5 for those calls. So this stock's going to have to make a pretty nice, quick, violent move to the upside. And they're playing on earnings as well. Last, I've got Rio, Rio Tinto. This one's pretty interesting as well because we've talked about miners, a lot of different other names, but this specific miner has been moving to the downside today off of some of their weaker side of their report. It was trading around $76, a little bit more than that. They were buying 6,200 of the May 82 and a half calls. Those are going for 75 cents up to about 90 cents. That stock has turned around a little bit off of those lows and is already starting to chop wood go a little bit higher. So a lot of different things going on right now in the markets. All right, Pete, good stuff. Thank you. Final trades are coming up next. A couple of reminders for you. Arvind Krishna, he's the IBM CEO. He's coming up at 3 o'clock with Sarah. It's a CNBC exclusive. You don't want to miss that. Then at overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern, what one former Twitter executive thinks about Elon Musk's desire to buy that company, the former head of platform. It's a CNBC exclusive with Ryan Sarver, now Red Point Ventures. Can't wait to have that conversation. See what happens, if anything, after the bell today, too. And, of course, Tesla's breaking. Phil's going to be with us. The whole gang will be there as those numbers come out, see what the stock does. All right, let's do final trades. Carrie, you go first, please. Well, I'm moving away from the large cap tech names here. So I'm giving you Integer. Integer is a medical device company. We're starting to see a real resurgence in elective procedures. We heard from J&J yesterday. Mm -hmm. Their medical device business was up 6%. The estimates were 1% to 2% growth. Integer plays in that market. And we think we'll start to see this huge surge as the backlogs are filled and move into sales the second half of this year and into 2023 will be very strong. Okay. Uh, Global X Autonomous and Electric. That must be Liz Young. That's me. Electric vehicles. I think this is a good entry point. They've been beaten up this year. High gas prices only intensify this theme. I think that this is something that has a lot of growth potential for the next two to five years. Okay, good stuff there. Pete, you're up. I'm going to go stick with energy. I'm going to give you a Vistra Corp. So you're talking about power generation here, Scott, electricity. We got a buyer of 15,000 of the June 28 calls. So a lot of buying in there. I'm trying to buy them as we speak. Okay. And uh, Marriott's a winner today, Joe, by 2%. Process of elimination. That must be you. <laughs> it is. It's a trading at an all-time high. It's great to own it on a day where you're seeing uh, the Roblox down 12%, DocuSign yeah. down 6%. Right. Laggards are really laggards. Okay. All right. Good stuff, guys. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older 
like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 